I'm Derek Sildebrand, publisher of the Western Standard, and you're watching The Pipeline. Today is May 24th, 2023. Almost there. This bloody election is almost but not quite over. I'm joined today by Western Standard opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford. How are you, Nigel? I'm great. Thank you. Nigel, before we got right on, asked me how many cups of coffee I had today, and the answer is a lot. Uh, also joined by the Western Standard Senior Alberta columnist, Corey Morgan. How are you, Corey? Very good, thanks. Beautiful. Uh, we're also going to be joined by some of our reporters across the West here. Uh, we're going to have old, uh, Christopher Oldcorn, our Bureau Chief in uh, Regina, our Saskatchewan Bureau Chief, coming to us. Uh, Sean Polzer, our business reporter, as well as Jonathan Bradley, one of our Calgary reporters. Uh, we're going to be talking about some a bizarre sort of press conference thing held today by uh, Calgary street preacher Arthur Pulowski, Um uh, called the media there, promising to release all the goods on on uh, the dirt on Danielle Smith, and had a raving, ranging, downright insane long diatribe full of conspiracy theories about Danielle Smith, calling her both a communist and a Nazi, totalitarian, a murderer, a devil, uh, all sorts of stuff, claiming that Danielle Smith had a secret pact with him to run for the legislature unopposed, but then he would join her party crossing the floor, that she was going to pay him to uh, do uh, COVID panel stuff. Absolutely batshit crazy stuff. And I know maybe some of you uh, are sympathizers with him, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, his stuff today, and uh, there's no way to put it beyond jumping the shark in the most extreme way possible. We're gonna talk about uh, former Governor General David Johnson's special rapporteur report, uh, whitewashing the whole Chinese interference uh, scandal away. Nothing to see here. No inquiry necessary. We're going to talk about uh, an NDP candidate in the Alberta provincial election here, uh, who we now know uh, was an intervener uh, in support of Justin Trudeau's No More Pipelines bill. Uh, not sure how much media pickup that's going to get uh, outside of uh, the Western Standard and other independent media here, but uh, it, I'd, I'd say, you know, it's probably newsworthy. An NDP candidate supporting the federal government's right to come into Alberta and control its resources. And uh, very importantly, we, we can't miss this. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, how absolutely racist Canada Day fireworks are. That's right. You enjoy fireworks on Canada Day. You are racist. Well, according to the city of Calgary and the city of Toronto and uh, I think Vic uh, City of Victoria started years ago. They're always ahead of the curve here. They know it's racist before anyone else does. And uh, if we have time, we're going to talk our election predictions. But I'm starting to predict already that we might not get that far with uh, the full roster we've got today. Before I get into it, I want to thank my favorite sponsor, the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. I've been a member of the CSSA for more than a decade uh, because I trust them as Canada's leading firearms rights organization. Uh, to protect my rights as a law-abiding firearms owner. If you are a firearms owner in Canada, your right to own and use firearms legally are under grave threat. Firearms owners need to stand together uh, or else lose their rights. So you need to join, become a member of the Canadian Shooting Sports Association 
right now. Go to cssa-cila.org or do what I do and Google them and click on membership. It's worth absolutely every penny. Okay, so uh, this was a late-breaking one. Uh, we just finished listening to the, I don't know if you call it a speech. I don't know if you call it a sermon. Uh, I don't know if we call you to call it a screed. But uh, Arthur Pulowski uh, uh, told all the press, I'm going to be on the steps of the legislature at noon Wednesday, and I'm going to tell you all all the stuff that was behind uh, the uh, phone call with Danielle Smith. Now, he claims... He claims that he uh, now he called uh, Daniel Smith and others uh, liars. I'd say at least a several dozen times if you listen to it. Now let's see if he's perhaps a liar here. He says he did not leak uh, the recording of this phone call. Uh, so there's only three people who are involved here. We have Danielle Smith. Well, she didn't record it because it's a video recording taken from Arthur Polowski's side, and uh, there's Dennis Modry in the room. And Arthur here. And he says, the only other person who had a copy of it was my lawyer. So unless he's accusing his lawyer of grossly breaching privilege, something that would get him disbarred and possibly sent to prison, uh, that means it was Arthur Polowski who leaked this video. But he insists he did not. But he clearly leaked it himself. But he was going to talk about it. Um, there wasn't really much of a theme to this to talk about, but uh, he had some words. So he's running something called the uh, Solidarity Movement of Alberta, uh, trying to channel the spirit of Lequilenza, uh, the anti-communist movement there. Uh, even Solidarity is the actual party logo of that, well, that union which became a, a party in Poland in the 80s. He called Danielle Smith and the UCP a communist. She said that UCP is totalitarian, that they are murderers, that they are Nazis, and that they are devils. Uh, you guys managed to catch at least some of this, I'm sure. Great, so. Uh, actually, we'll start with you, Corey. You've been aware of this guy for a while. He's been been hanging out. Uh, your thoughts on his <laughs> remarks today? Oh, I'm glad maybe he's finally exposed every... Give it a watch and see what he really is. He's an unhinged street preacher. you got to watch it for yourself. He yeah. always has been. The media was collecting because maybe he might have had a nugget or a gem that, that, that could expose Premier Smith to something, but they realized there's nothing credible coming out of this man. He, he was poorly treated. There's no doubt. When they, when they raided his mm -hmm. church and things like that, but just because he was a victim doesn't mean he's credible. And uh, I think today, for anybody who ever had any doubts about his credibility, they've got no doubt about him anymore. Yeah, I, I think that is a fair point. I, I think that you know the charges against him, I think, were, were generally very unfair. Uh, pastors were thrown in jail unjustly during COVID. And he, he had every right, in, in my view, to, to oppose these things. But you could, you know, I, I got the impression all the way through COVID that this wasn't actually about COVID for him. It was about him. It was about publicity for himself. And he's within his rights to do so. Uh, I've been in politics. I've been in media. I was at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I, I'm aware of trying to get publicity. It's fine. But that seemed to be the motivating factor behind so much of what he did. Uh, in fact, he might be the only person I'm aware of who's ever started a political party solely for his own personal aggrandizement because he is so angry, viciously angry at Danielle Smith that she did not succeed in managing... Uh, to be able to have any kind of amnesty or so-called stay of prosecution against him for this. Um, your, your, your impression from uh, his little What you've today. just mentioned there is a very definition of ingratitude. I mean, it's clear from the, uh, from the tape that she heard him through, couldn't do anything for him, 
told him so, but at least she listened to him. Well, what did he think? If he has legal advice, he should have known if that wasn't going anywhere anyway. But he actually had, with, um, had a purpose in, um, in recording that conversation, highly suspect that that was not done with the Premier's knowledge. I think that's fair to say. And, uh, you know, with the express purpose, if it didn't go the way he wanted it to, well, then he would have something. I mean, right there, if you want my trust as a politician, not that you were ever inside the starter's gate to begin with, but if you did, that alone would be enough to say, oh, I have no further business with you. Listening to that, uh, you were wondering whether to call it a uh, speech or a sermon. or It was a rant. And, uh, you know, there's people who do rants don't usually succeed in winning hearts. That was not a speech that would attract anybody who was not at least as bitter and angry as he was. Calling, you know, even I, yeah. look, we know where we stand with Rachel Notley, but calling her a witch is pretty vicious. That's yeah, that's kind of sort of below the belt. I uh, and devils was another epithet that was cast around for the for the UCP. You can overstate your case and blow your own ship up. I don't think he had particularly much credibility to lose in the first place, but you know, I. I've been conflicted about him uh, for, for a long time, but particularly during COVID. Uh, I've never found his uh, views to be particularly Christian. Uh, I mean, he's entitled to his views. And I like politically incorrect. In fact, I like offensive. But not everyone who gets called hateful is not hateful the way, you know, say the NDP would call us hateful for simply questioning NDP education policies. His stuff has long since, I think, crossed the line. And it's yeah. it genuinely hateful, genuinely bigoted. And not everyone who uses those terms is some woke little snowflake. Those are real things. They're just serially abused terms. And, you know, he, he's had these things for a while. During COVID, I, I'm kind of ashamed to say, I... I, I, I was just kind of embarrassed of him because I thought he was setting back the movement to end lockdowns, to end mandates, to restore some semblance of liberty to Alberta and to Canada. And I didn't like giving him attention because I was, it was so clearly narcissistically about himself, not about the movement. It was about building... That's the way it his, came across. Yeah, it was about yeah. building his little following of the branch Arturians. And, you know, and, and there are probably good people who have, who have followed him who, you know, like... You know, he's talking about the Bible and he was talking about freedoms, but may have been taken in by a bit of a con man here. You know, he um, just his entire thing today was just about him. It's about he is, I think, what he's trying to do. And, and I'm I'm a I'm sympathetic to small breakaway parties. I've been a wild roser. I was freedom conservative party. I, I, I mostly have voted for breakaway smaller parties. But the intention needs to be about something larger than yourself, not pure self-aggrandizement. And I think this is just purely a vengeance tool because Danielle Smith turned out not to have the powers to, to get him off of the charges he faced. Unfortunately, because I don't think he should have faced those charges to begin with. But uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's time conservatives in Alberta, uh, I, I think most aren't indulging him, but... Uh, those who still are, I think, need to finally see this guy for what he is. Stop indulging him and uh, and this pure cult of narcissistic self-pity. Yeah, no argument. 
He's got that street ministry. They call him a street preacher. And I know he goes down there with a bullhorn. I hope he has uh, a little bit more of the, the message, of, you know, that Jesus was preaching when he's talking to the people on the street, because that wasn't going to win souls for anybody. No, no, I think... Um, Maybe he does. I, I mean, I'm not judging. I haven't been down there to listen. But, I'm not uh, one to judge, but uh, I, I don't... It's not the most Christian message I would normally hear, expect to hear from a pastor. Is he here from... As a one-time speechwriter, I wouldn't have recommended that. No. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, we're going to move on here. And we're going to bring in uh, the Western Standards uh, Saskatchewan Bureau Chief, based in Regina, Chris Oldcorn here. Uh, so just yesterday, former Governor General and uh, Trudeau Special Rapporteur, uh, David Johnston, brought in his long-awaited report. Uh, I, I think by now most people know what it was about, but just kind of give us the Coles notes, Chris, about uh, what, you know, what are the main takeaways of uh, the special rapporteur's report here? Yeah, well, it, it's basically based on the fact that there's you know, somewhat some proof out there uh, that was leaked by another news organization that there was interference in the last two federal elections, particularly with some candidates uh, and trying to influence them either directly or indirectly into, you know, being sympathetic to China. Uh, so when this happened, Trudeau came out, he appointed David Johnston to be the, what they call a special rapporteur uh, to look into it. And the first part of his report came out yesterday, which he released five different recommendations uh, one, he said that, you know, there is a growing threat of foreign interference. The second part was that what was um, given out in the media did not give the full picture or he called it mis misscrewed it. Uh, and they sort of had it, but they they didn't have the full picture, which created which created a false um, impression of certain things that happened, such as uh, Handong resigned, for example, because uh, there was, you know, proof according to the original report that came out from uh, Global News, uh, that there was some communications between him and the Chinese consulate, for example. Uh, he ended up resigning, becoming independent. Now he feels he's been vindicated from uh, the report that was released yesterday. Uh, and Trudeau today said, look, he left of, uh, to, to clear his own name and went independent. Uh, the Liberal Party didn't ask him to leave. We don't know if he was kind of pushed out behind closed doors or if he did it of his own accord. Uh, but Trudeau wants to have a conversation with him about coming back into the Liberal Party, which is interesting because since Trudeau came in, 12 different Liberal MPs have resigned for various reasons to become independents. Not one yet has ever been welcomed back into the party. So this would make the first Liberal MP that has resigned since Trudeau became Prime Minister to actually go back into the party and sit as an official uh, part of the Liberal caucus. Uh, now, the final two parts of his report are they have to look at how sensitive information is moved between different parts of the government. Now, CSIS has said that they sent a report into uh, Trudeau's office. He never saw it two years ago during the election. Uh, we don't know if that's true or not because final part is we're not getting a public inquiry. We're going to have what's called public hearings. And then there's also going to be a second report coming as well. However, a public hearing has absolutely no teeth to it. A public inquiry can subpoena someone to come and testify in front of them. A public hearing cannot do that. Uh, 
so this surprised even me. I mean, we, I had a suspicion that David Johnson would get appointed to this because he's, he is an eminent Canadian, uh, was broadly respected. I mean, he might be in a Laurentian elite, but he's an accomplished man, someone who's done a lot of good public service over the years. Um, but it was also clear that he was clearly unfit for the job because at the very least, the perception of conflict of interest, a senior, a board member of the Trudeau Foundation, which incidentally uh, totally escaped any mention whatsoever in this report. It appears that he didn't even bother to look at the Trudeau Foundation, which has become a key flashpoint of the Chinese foreign interference scandal. Um, you know, uh, he is a personal longtime friend of the Trudeau family. Uh, and so yesterday, you know, we had, I, I, I almost took pity on him as he had to sit there in the press gallery and, and, and try to make the case to the press that like, wow, well, we're not really that good of friends. Uh, they've used our parking spot at our chalet before. There's a lot of evidence would seem to very clearly contradict Johnson's take on their relationship. Uh, a lot of pictures of them hugging and embracing and their families hanging out together. A lot more than lending someone a parking spot at, at the Mont-Tremblant ski hill in Quebec. Um, so at the very least, the perception of a conflict of interest is very strong. And uh, to my shock, he did not recommend a public inquiry. I thought that even with these perceived conflicts of interest with him, the case was so open and shut. Even a normally liberal, friendly media agreed almost universally that this is there is way too much smoke for there not to be fire here, and we're going to need some public answers if there's going to be a restoration of faith in uh, parliamentary institutions in Canada. Uh, Nigel, do you, has Johnson irreparably damaged his reputation here, or do you think uh, he might get over this? Damaged, yes. Destroyed, no. I mean, the man's prior accomplishments will carry him through in the end, and this is something absolutely unforgivable that comes out of this. He's the first governor general not to be embroiled in scandal in about 30 years. Yes, it's, uh, you know, he was a good man, but uh, I, can, I could see all the reasons why he would have been a good choice, except for the one that he was closely associated, A, with the Trudeau Foundation, and B, a long history of uh, social involvement with the Trudeau family. And he did his best to play that down, but as we say, we see the pictures, we see the evidence that maybe it was a little closer than he cares to cares to admit. Now he's got, you know, looking at this from the point of view of damage control, he's issued this statement, which allows the prime minister to go up and say, trust me, no story here. John, John, David Johnson says so. And we're supposed to buy that after everything else that the prime minister has, has led us down the garden path on? I will not do, call him what Art Pawlowski called uh, Daniel Smith, but uh, my word, there are some uh, reasons to distrust him. So I, I would like to think that he regretted ever getting involved, but now he has agreed to do one more thing, to put off the evil day of reckoning, which is to take from now to October, going across the country so that everybody can have their say on this. Say on what? The people he wants to talk to are right there in Ottawa. don't need to go across the country. Should have talked to him in the first place. So, Corey, I guess the issue uh, where I want to go now is, was this a win for Trudeau? I mean, yes, Trudeau gets to avoid, for now, a public inquiry, which probably saves him and his government 
potentially a lot of embarrassment. You know, they'd be able to, you know, subpoena and compel compel witnesses, uh, subpoena classified documents, things like that. But there's also now, I think, no hope of getting any kind of resolution to this. I think there is virtually zero chance that most Canadians are going to look at this and say, oh, well, the Trudeau Foundation guy says that uh, Trudeau didn't do anything and everything's fine, so therefore I believe it. Uh, There'll be some who do, but I I don't think most. Is this a win for Trudeau, or do you think this is just going to draw it out longer? It's a win as far as kicking the can down the road, but it's such a blatant and obvious whitewash. Uh, I mean, for one, Johnston... I wasn't that surprised because if he'd already shown the poor judgment of not recusing himself when asked in the first place, mm-hmm. then he's already lost good judgment. So I don't expect much of him. And he uh, led up to my expectations. And now to take part and say further, I'm going to take the investigation from here forward. It's a gross, clear effort yeah. just to keep kicking this can down and hoping it disappears. It was bizarre. He gave himself a mandate yeah. to continue to manage it. That, I, I, it was not in his mandate to give himself further mandates to go and and lead the the whitewashing show. The only thing Trudeau won was a little bit of time. If he'd have been able to find somebody he could stick in that role who somehow he could, you know, would would look truly arm's length and independent to come out and say we don't need inquiry, maybe he could have called that a win, but not this. Nobody's taking this seriously. And, you know, his recommendations more or less were, uh, well, we'll solve this by getting the politicians to play nice and talk to each other. And that means, uh, and then he explicitly recommended swearing the leaders of all three major opposition parties, Paul Liev, uh, Blanchette of the Bloc and Jagmeet Singh of the NDP to secrecy. They can see some stuff, but it also means they're sworn to secrecy. They can't talk about it anymore. And so far, both the Bloc leader and Polyev have rejected this out of hand, saying they're not going to be silenced by this process, which is exactly what it would do. Yes. Uh, fine, they get to see a few limited documents. They don't get to speed any documents themselves and actually dig. They just get to see some of what Johnson saw. And then they're not allowed to talk about it and effectively the idea was to take it out of Parliament. They've rejected this. So already Johnson's plan was dead on arrival. He uh, you know, he said, uh, and he called Aaron O'Toole, the former conservative, uh, federal conservative leader, uh, to consult him on it. But apparently that call didn't take place until the report was already written and had been sent for translation and to the printers. Um, so the plan appears dead on arrival. Where does it go from here, Nigel? Well, I think it's like what Corey was saying. They just wanted some time. This boots it into the summer when nobody's paying any attention. You got a bunch of hearings, two days here, two days there from, you know, Cape Race to Nootka Sound. And uh, nobody, everybody just in the end gives up. That was a very sly nod to the Maple Leaf Forever. I I picked up what you're putting down there. Um, I was just interested to see whether anybody else would. Derek, I was waiting for the letters. I used to know all three verses. Mm-hmm. Um, the there was a lot of exonerations here. Handong exam, exonerated. Now again, we don't really know uh, what was going on there, but I think it was either Global News or the Global Mail, one of the two. They're related. Uh, you know, had reported about you know that he had uh, encouraged the Chinese consul in uh, Toronto to interfere to keep the two Michaels locked up. We can't. We can't be sure what really happened there, but I'm not sure how Johnson exonerated it. How did he know? Like, that's going to take genuinely deep diving investigation, not 
a month or two kind of broad rapporteur stuff. And by the way, uh, Dong's case is flaccid. I mean, he he has no place in going back into Parliament unless we could see the evidence that well, Johnson. I, I also do believe in innocent until proven yeah. guilty. I, I I think we should be very cautious about going the other way. But we had these documents come out uh, from from the intelligence services saying that he uh, ha had done this. Now Johnson is just saying, well, he didn't. This is why we need an inquiry. I want to see the proof. We've seen evidence on one side that he did do it. I'm open, very open to the possibility that, well, maybe that was out of context. Maybe it wasn't the full picture. Maybe he is innocent and didn't do this. But we need to see the evidence of that. And all Johnson said was, trust me. And I'm sorry, he's living in another century if you think that Canadians just trust their government anymore. Uh, we've just come through three years of the most untrustworthy things governments can possibly do. Trust in government and our institutions is at an all-time low, and for very good reason. Uh, he exonerated Trudeau, says uh, he did not knowingly uh, do anything wrong here. Uh, alluded that, yeah, maybe they don't attribute to malice what can be explained by incompetence. Uh, yeah, possibly, that's possibly true. He only named one villain, though, in the entire report. One villain. And that was the whistleblower. The only one who has clearly done anything wrong here is the CSIS uh, official, spy, whatever they mm -hmm. are, we don't know exactly, but someone from the intelligence community who blew the whistle and has been leaking these documents. Um, so, Nigel, I guess uh, uh, David Johnson has named one villain, and uh, the person who let us know about the whole thing is it. Yep, that's right. And we wrote about a month ago when this, all this first broke. This, this is the one patriot that you can identify in the whole system. You know, it is. we call them whistleblowers, and we have whistleblower protection. Now, this... I'm not, I'm not sure no, if that applies, though, to... We'll get uh, no protection in this, in this case. Yeah. But the principle that sometimes you are inside an organization and you are aware of something that is going badly wrong that is affecting the public interest, uh, I, I respect the man's decision. He knew what he was dealing with, and uh, he decided to, knowing the risks, to take his chances. You know, this is the kind of exoneration, I'm just reading uh, some notes here. This is the kind of exoneration that Johnson has offered. Limited intelligence, his phrase, supports the notion that the Chinese government intended for funds to reach seven liberal and four conservative candidates, Johnson's report says. But there is no intelligence suggesting that they got the money. Okay, so everything's all right. That is not the kind of reassurance no. that any of us were looking for from David Johnson. I think not. All right, uh, thank you for joining us, Chris. Uh, we're going to bring in uh, Western Standard business reporter Sean Polzer now. Uh, Sean, uh, you've written into Standard today that uh, an NDP candidate, uh, it's come to light, uh, was a key member behind a legal group that uh, made a submission to the Supreme Court challenge made by uh, the government of Alberta against uh, the Federal Trudeau's No More Pipelines Act. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about this? Fill, it, fill, us in, fill us in here. Well, We've had some NDP candidates in the past uh, make some rhetoric and, uh, you know, some kind of accusations against the oil and gas industry. But what I was really surprised is that uh, this fellow in Airdrie, um, 
Sean, I guess we both have the same name, Sean Fluka or something, I believe, was actually the lead counsel for the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment that actually argued in favor of Bill C-69, even though uh, the Rachel, Team Rachel is, Notley is going on about her support for pipelines. <coughs> uh, yeah, so I think it's... He is one of a fairly long list of NDP candidates in the election year who have made uh, pretty stridently anti-oil and gas or Alberta energy comments. Uh, you know, we had Kevin Van Tingheim or Tingham from Livingston McLeod who said uh, compared the oil industry to slavery and said Albertans were uh, essentially entitled entitled oil rednecks. Uh, I think he meant that pejoratively. I, don't think so. mm. I, I didn't take it that way. I think he meant it as an insult. Um, but it, 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 it adds to it. Um, but th th this is a big one. This can't be dismissed as just uh, an angry tweet or uh, some obscure on a Reddit uh, message board or something. This was, well, this was a major, this, this was an argument he made in the Supreme Court of Canada. One would think you probably think about your remarks before you go before the Supreme Court. Uh Sean, has the NDP had any statement or apology or clarifications uh, about uh, this uh, this candidate's remark so far? Well, uh, none to us, obviously. I, I did reach out and asked for just some clarification or even uh, a link to a policy platform or something in their plank, uh, but no. But uh, at the Smith presser uh, this morning, um, there was some talk, uh, apparently, he was grilled about it uh, from some uh, reporters and uh, he didn't really want to talk about it very much. I would, would expect as much. Uh, so uh, Nigel, uh, I mean, it's not, it, it's embarrassing for the NDP and for the Notley campaign. It definitely contradicts the kind of moderate image they're trying to portray that, you know, we're actually like Lougheed PCs here. We're not your great, we're not my father's NDP. We're not kind of the, the small fringy mm -hmm. far left NDP here. Uh, we're pro-oil and gas. We're just a little less crazy pro-oil and gas as maybe UCP. Um, so it's obviously embarrassing. But do you think the cost is just kind of sunken here at this point? People who think the NDP are secretly anti-oil are already not voting for them? Or do you think this might actually have an impact? I think the impact comes in the largest sense that when you look at the NDP, they put their wares out on display. If you buy this you also get what's underneath it. And whether we were talking about education, where yes, we want larger class sizes, but by the way, if you do that, then you get a whole social agenda that a lot of people wouldn't like. Yes, we're, we're, all, for the, uh, we're all for small business and no tax increases for the uh, homeowner, but underneath there is quite a substantial job-killing tax increase for, the, uh, for small business. And now you come to come to the oil and energy, and you say, "Well, we're going to build windmills, and we're going to." But we've got these people who are actively anti-Alberta prosperity, anti-Alberta energy, anti-Alberta oil, and they don't talk about that. They just quietly slip them in. So I think when the realization is that there's a whole bait and switch going on here, look over here. That try and ignore the stuff we don't really want you to see. I'll put the same question to you, Corey. Uh, is it just kind of a sunk cost? Just as it is on the other end, you know, if a UCP candidate makes, uh, you know, had made a, 
controversial social media post, uh, you know, a year ago. Well, you already kind of expected they would, and the cost is maybe baked in. Where do you know that NDP candidates, uh, at least a, a good a good many of them, have made statements, that kind of thing, that were, you know, pretty anti-Alberta oil and gas or energy uh, is the cost just baked in here? Is this going to have an well, effect or not? It could chip away on a lot of those undecideds, I think, though. I mean, this one in particular, not necessarily, but it gets cumulative. Where people are thinking, you know, there's a lot of conservatives. They just don't like Premier Smith. There's no getting around that. And they've been kind of wavering. You know, maybe the NDP's moderate enough. They'll be okay. But one of the big fear areas is that the NDP is going to screw up the economy. And when you see some of the true nature showing, I mean, again, you can't forget Sabora Berman was, you know, one of the first people Notley brought on board, and she's an extreme enviro wacko. Uh, they don't want to remind people that they, they at least maintain a degree of that element of anti-oil uh, attitudes, and, and it won't help them any. I, again, it won't be an election turner, but it's not helping them. All right. Uh, I guess, okay, we'll wrap that one up there. Thank you uh, for joining us, Sean. We're going to turn now to Western Standard and Calgary reporter Jonathan Bradley. Uh, Jonathan, um, I know you're uh, you're a, you're a former Eastern bastard, so we haven't probably shaken all of the Toronto out of you yet. But um, uh, there's been a growing trend here. Uh, I think it was uh, probably two-ish years ago. I remember the city of Victoria said, "In the name of truth and reconciliation, we're not going to celebrate Canada Day anymore." Uh, now you have. Uh, the city of Calgary has uh, not technically canceled its fireworks, but put them into a very limited area at Fort Calgary um, uh, in a play, and it'd be done in such a way that you can't see the fireworks unless you really want to be there physically to, to enjoy those fireworks. I think the city of Toronto has done something similar. Uh, and this is all in the name of truth and reconciliation because having fireworks is uh, is racist and, un- and insensitive to First Nations people. Jonathan, tell us why Canada fireworks are racist. Okay, well, I mean, the left in all sorts of cities in Canada has been calling fireworks racist for the last few years. Um, it's rather absurd. Um, so the city of Calgary announced on Thursday that they're going to be canceling their fireworks display to mark and celebrate Canada Day. Um, and the rationale for this was some people might have thought like, oh, you know, noise pollution, light pollution, animals. It's because apparently fireworks are offensive to indigenous people because Canada Day is a day that recognizes colonialism. And on July 1st, it's the anniversary of the Chinese Immigration Act, which saw a head tax implemented on Chinese people coming to Canada back in the 1920s. Um, one p- funny part about- you know who this- really does love fireworks though? The Chinese. Yeah. And then uh, the funny part was it looks like it's been done by city staff, not by city councillors who have made this decision. Uh, Calgary councillor Courtney Penner went on an unhinged rant on Twitter saying that, uh, you know, it's right that we cancel these fireworks and that fireworks are offensive. And if we go back on this decision, it'll be upholding racism and colonialism. Okay. And uh, and I believe you said uh, in your report, you had said that Toronto did something similar against these uh, racist pyrotechnics. Yes, that was a separate story. So Toronto announced that they're going to be scrapping their fireworks, but the issue on that end wasn't because of colonialism. It was because of costs and planning, and they said it was too difficult to maintain it. There are still going to be fireworks in other parts of Toronto, but the one area they're being cancelled in is in Nathan Phillips Square, which is right in front of Toronto City Hall. 
Oh, okay. Well, it would have been funnier if it was because they're racist. Yeah. Um, uh, Nigel, are firework are Kennedy fireworks racist? First off, uh, you know, fireworks in themselves are neither racist nor unracist. Well, but, but they're it's, just fireworks. But it, sorry. So, but in celebration of something that, that these people say, well, is that's racist. that's that's what he's he's describing there is uh, young Jonathan is that this is to stick the put a stick in the eye of mainstream Canadians and say that what you have got in this country, what you have built, what everything you have accomplished from the the time people first set foot on in Newfoundland to the present day is unworthy. Now, these, this is being said by people who are living on the fruits of everything that has been done in the development of Canada over a period of centuries. The houses you live in, the fuel that you use, the cars you drive, the telephones you use, all of this is the fruit of a certain civilization and these people are calling it down, and they're saying that we'll cancel your, your fireworks show. We'll get over that. Maybe there'll be another fireworks show somewhere else. But this particular stream of thought is very dangerous, very damaging. Uh, Corey, um, you know, you hear, um, let's call them the Federalists a lot. They say, you know, uh, the Alberta Patriot types, right-wing Albertans, you're not Canadian enough. You guys don't believe in Canada, and I'm defending Canada. You guys are against Canada. I'm for Canada. But it seems that these very same people then kind of turn around at another crowd and say, Canada's evil. Let's cancel all symbols of Canada. So, you know, if you're someone who believes in, say, you know, an Alberta identity before a Canadian identity, Hmm. Is this such a bad thing to be canceling any celebration of Canada? Well, it's a double standard. I, I sort of said that in my column. I wrote about it. Well, you know, as an independence-leaning advocate, if you guys want to keep undercutting national pride, you know, it's not making my cause any tougher. Yeah. Uh, and that's what this is about, though. Their issue isn't the fireworks. Their issue is the visible celebration of Canada Day. So they, they know they can't cancel the whole thing, but if we can cancel the visible part of it and make it smaller and smaller... I mean, people used to go all over in the hills in the parks in Calgary, and you could sit a mile away with your children and watch the fireworks. Mm -hmm. Now you have to go down to Fort Calgary, where they say they're going to have this pyrotechnic sound and light show, which tells me it's going to be a bunch of woke garbage with a, a probably a 20-minute land acknowledgement, and you're supposed to hang your heads in shame over Canada. That's what it's about. You know, They have Truth and Reconciliation Day, or Trudeau Surfing Day, whichever interpretation you want to have yeah. for it. We've already set an entire holiday for this, and now that's not enough. We have to get rid of the one that celebrates the nation. And there should be a strong pushback for people who truly care about Canada, because this is uh, one big step. True fact, and, and Nigel backed me up on this. Um, I think, uh, you know, we were having, uh, I think there was questions around, uh, do we get Easter Monday off? Some of the employees at the office here thought we get Easter Monday. I said, no, no, that's a, that's a banker's holiday. You only get that if you're a federal government employee or in a federally regulated uh, industry, just like Truth and Reconciliation Day. It's, it's federal, and you only get it if you're a federal uh, industry. But then I said, but everyone working at the standard, I will give them Truth and Reconciliation Day off if they will send me a picture of themselves on a surfboard <laughs> holding Tofino, uh, Tofino's newspaper with the date on it. If you could send me the, the, today's newspaper in Tofino on a surfboard, I'll give you the day off. And that policy stands for all of our employees. You did indeed say that, but you did not authorize it for expenses. Well, no, no, you, you have to get there and surf on your own expense. Oh, I'm sorry. But you can have the day off if you go surfing in Tofino. You have to specifically do that. And, and I need evidence or it didn't happen. Try and make it next year. Yeah. On my holidays. Uh, okay, really quick. 
uh, election predictions here. Uh, oh, yeah. Thank you very much, Jonathan, for, for joining us here. Uh, election predictions. Um, outside the studio here, up on the wall, we've got uh, our predictions we put down, I think, right around the time the writ dropped. And I came to regret my predictions for a bit. I thought, oh, I, I don't think this is happening. Uh, mine could still be off, but I, I've predicted uh, UCP 53, NDP 40, uh, 34. So healthy. I mean, UCP still losing seats, but holding a pretty healthy majority. I looked at it again today, went by through the writings. I think I'm going to stand by it. Nigel. I'm standing by my original quote. 54-33. 54-33. Okay, so you're just one more seat yep. from mine uh, yep. in the in the uh, UCP's direction. Yep. That's, uh, I can see it. I can see how it could happen. Uh, Corey, uh, what was your prediction, and we're, do you regret it? We're all close together, and I'm, I'm standing by mine at 52-35. Uh, at 52-35. Yeah. Okay, yeah, let's see. we're all bunched together. I, got, I suppose I split the difference right in the middle there, yeah. but... Uh, it's had its ups and downs, you know, but I, I, th I was thinking maybe they're going to lose more than that. But now that I'm looking at the trend of things, no, I think that's about where it's going to Yeah, post-debate, you know, Smith came through that debate pretty well, I think. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, even if there is a big campaign scandal at this point, there's not really a lot of time for it to sink in in a big way unless it's absolutely devastating, I think. There's just been a couple of things that, that have, I think, have come up in the last 10 days. That tax increase that... Uh, Rachel Notley was talking about, I think that is going to hurt her. The mm -hmm. debate was good. And, you know, it's only a trivial thing, but that sign story, people people enjoyed that. All of you who joined us on the pipeline, make sure you join us again tomorrow uh, morning for the Alberta Report. We'll have the latest news from the campaign trail. If you're not yet a member of the Western Standard, make sure you go to westernstandard.news, click on membership. It's only $10 a month or $100 a year for unlimited Western Standard content getting the best coverage of politics in Alberta you're going to get anywhere. Corey, Nigel, thank you very much for uh, joining today. And all of our reporters who are with us, God bless. Here's an update on commodity prices in Lethbridge for today. Cash barley is steady at 405. Feed wheat remains at 404. And corn increased $2 at 392 per metric ton. In the milling wheat markets, July Minneapolis futures dropped 21.5 cents at 7.99 and a quarter per bushel with local hard red spring bid for May movement at 10.48. Looking at canola, nearby futures slipped $3 at 6.9860 per tonne, with delivered buys for June movement at 10.50 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentil prices are higher a half a cent at 33.5 cents per pound, and yellow peas are holding at 11.25 per bushel. And in the cattle markets, June live cattle climbed $1.95 to 166.22.5 per hundredweight. For more information on pricing or picked up options, give me a call at 403-394-1711. I'm Matt Musicum at Marketplace Commodities, accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association, without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.